0: My guest today is Zeke Hernandez, who is a Max and Bernice Gorjik Family Presidential Associate Professor at the Wharton Business School. He studies global strategy with an emphasis on how immigrants and innovation help firms successfully globalize. Welcome, Zeke.
1: Thank you, Gil. Good to be here with you.
0: A research area of focus for you is the effect of immigrants on location decisions made by firms, uh, independents and multinationals, and capital providers uh, like uh, VCs and PE firms. Uh, You have also explored firm performance in this context. So I would like to start with one of your earlier papers in this area, Mm -hmm. uh, entitled Finding a Home Away from Home. Effects of Immigrants on Firms' Foreign Location Choice and Performance, in which you investigated foreign subsidiaries of firms established in the U.S. and the presence of immigrants from that firm's country in that U.S. location. Could you talk a bit about that paper?
1: Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, So I think the the basic question behind that paper is uh, really a deceptively simple one, which is to say, you know, uh, is the movement of um, people correlated with the movements uh, that companies make through foreign investment, and uh, and in particular, I was interested in in one direction of that correlation and relationship, which is uh, when firms are making investments abroad, do they um, do they take into account the fact that there are immigrants from their home countries? Uh, in different locations abroad? And then do they, does that have sort of a, a you know, a, a causal, a positive effect on the likelihood that they'll invest there and ultimately on the performance? Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, that's the question, right? It's, it's just, is human mobility and capital mobility correlated, <laughs> basically? Right. Um, uh, to give you sort of the summary of the study in a nutshell, uh, you know, that, study was uh, actually my, my doctoral dissertation uh, several years ago, uh, I was able at that time to get data on um, uh, foreign companies uh, investing into the United States from uh, 27 different countries, if I recall the number correctly.
0: Yeah.
1: And I found, uh, th- you know, the core findings are twofold. One is that uh, for every 1% increase in the share of immigrants uh, from a certain country in in a state living in the u s yeah. uh, firms um from that same country of origin were fifty percent more likely to invest in that state that's and by, by that I mean fifty percent more than sort of uh the baseline probability of investing had they had there been sort of no immigrants there from right. from the home country and uh, and that then given that firms had located there, they were more likely to survive and by survive i mean just Sort of stay longer and and not fail, right? So it seems to attract immigrants. Seem to attract investment uh, from their home country to uh, make that investment stay there longer. Yeah. So when you when you say that
0: percentage, one percent uh, people movement followed by fifty percent uh, company investment, those are aggregate numbers. Um, they, they are counts rather than uh, quantity of investment.
1: Yeah, so that's an excellent question, right? To understand what I actually found. So I, I mean, so so let's take an example. Let's say that um, um, you know, in in the state of Pennsylvania, where, where I where I live right now, uh, there were uh, no uh, Koreans, and then all of a sudden, the Koreans are zero percent of the Pennsylvania. That share increases to one percent. So if Koreans now become one percent of the population of Pennsylvania, that one percent increase makes Korean firms, um, you know, fifty percent more likely to uh, establish um, subsidiaries and operations in Pennsylvania. So it's one percent likely, of the total meaning, state population.
0: Um, is it you know sort of the number of firms coming in, or is it kind of the dollar investment?
1: Um, yeah. Yes. Uh, another good question. Thank you. So it's okay. the probability that they'll choose Pennsylvania compared to to compare to every okay. other so state. They make the a decision states. to enter,
0: but this is true, um, really a location choice question. So they they make a decision to enter and then they say, you know, which of the 50 states should I locate uh, and and they tend to locate in a state with a higher percentage of immigrants from that country.
1: Okay. Perfect, yeah, very well summarized. And I also should clarify, the the baseline probability of investing in any state at any given point in time is low, right? Uh, It's maybe, in in the particular sample I had, it was about two or 3%. So when I say a 50% increase, is that that goes from, say, 3% to 4.5%. That seems small, but it's actually quite a big increase given sort of all the uncertainty that there is right. about making a foreign And then investment you go into with, right? you
0: know some of the hypotheses yeah. around the reasons why this is happening, right? So what, what, what are the reasons uh, you found in, in that?
1: Right. So I would say that the, the key word there is sort of knowledge or or information, right? So I found that the reason is that... Immigrants help firms that have some kind of knowledge-related need. So there were three specific hypotheses that I explored in that study. The first one was that um, foreign firms that had, say, no prior experience in the United States, so they don't have a lot of information and experience about what it's like to do business here, about the risks, et cetera, uh, right? Those firms are very strongly influenced or more strongly influenced than than the average firm. Uh, the other hypothesis was firms that um are what I call knowledge intensive which essentially means that they're in a high tech industry right where they where there's a there's a sort of a a a knowledge intangible asset that they're trying to transfer from their home country to the United States as opposed to say you know a low tech industry where where perhaps some like intangible property is less important so so for firms like that that are knowledge intensive that have a lot of intangible assets um you know, immigrants played a particularly strong role, um, uh, allegedly, because they're helping firms sort of transfer that information. Um, and then the the third is um, uh, for companies that are trying to enter sort of a cluster of industries, right? And, and that comes from the fact that if there's a cluster, uh, say, like a high-tech cluster in Silicon Valley, or the auto cluster in Detroit, there's a lot of uh, industry-specific knowledge flowing through those clusters, and immigrants seem to enhance the ability of firms to benefit from those knowledge clusters. So those three hypotheses all get at this idea that what immigrants are doing is they're helping firms uh, sort of obtain and transfer valuable information. So so uh, uh, I want to just understand, so highly knowledge-intensive
0: industry, so this is essentially the firm is trying to transfer some sort of uh knowledge uh, intensive product or service uh to the us and 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 what what you are mm-hmm. suggesting is uh to actually make it um, you know really useful uh, from a marketing perspective, they need a lot of help from the from the locals.
1: Yes. And where that comes from is from research that had been done before showing that, um, you know, if you're going to be investing abroad and expanding your operations into a foreign market, but your competitive advantage, your secret sauce depends on, um, you know, what knowledge assets, intellectual property. So think of, you know, technology or or, or or a product or service that requires, say, you know, high tech knowledge or very complicated tacit knowledge that's much easier to successfully transfer and yeah. implement in a foreign market than say, you know, a, a machine, right? That you just move, right? right and, and immediately you can... Or, or some kind of commodity product. Why? Because that... Or a commodity, exactly. Why? Because th- those intangibles, they require sort of human interaction. They're very tacit in how they operate. They require a very intimate understanding of the market. And uh, the sort of the you know, having a population of immigrants uh, and knowledge uh, just because you have common language, a common way of thinking, a common way of managing, uh, that just makes it easier to transfer those intangibles and use them successfully than, say, uh, you know, the commodities where perhaps you don't need that kind of, uh, you know, uh, similarity in in human capital and language and other factors. So um, is this immigrant firm
0: relationship sort of, symbiotic, uh, both the firm and the immigrants are gaining from it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I have asked myself that question. Uh, I I think so, but I have less evidence to tell you for sure, right? Uh, I know the firm benefits. Uh, in principle, the immigrants should benefit for one of two reasons. Uh, because um, the firm from the same nationality can uh, say maybe be more likely to hire them or improve their job market prospects um, right they might be able to uh, see the value of the skills that those workers have perhaps more than a firm of another nationality who might just not um, you know understand or relate to them as well and the other is that the firm um, might be offering products and services that are valuable to that individual immigrant, right? Uh, I mean, some, something like food would be obvious, right? But maybe other right. other kinds of products. Um, however, we we don't have as much evidence of that of of meaning that when firms from, say, uh, let's use Korea as an example again, move into a place where there's Korean, does that make Koreans better off? Um, that's just not a question for which I know. Uh, I don't know if there's okay. empirical okay. evidence. Uh, but
0: if you if you assume that you know there's some sort of supply and demand uh benefits, uh either you know the people are buying yeah. the, the firm's products, uh presumably you know those products are well known to the immigrant population, or they are getting supply of raw materials or labor or whatever, uh then yeah mm-hmm. we should be able to see some sort of an economic effect
1: on the immigrant population right yes and that effect could show up in many ways right i mean one is just sort of the the improved i guess what utility or happiness of having a product that they that yeah. they didn't have access to right before sure. but it could be you know higher wages it could be um it could be another thing, you know, because immigrants have very high propensities for entrepreneurship. One thing I could speculate is that maybe, uh, the immigrants might start, uh, firms that will sort of supply or be complementary to that home country firm that made the investment. Uh, right. And so, um, and there are, there are sort of anecdotal stories of that. So for example, uh, Freixionet is a Spanish, uh, wine company, um, they, expanded into Australia because a Spanish immigrant who had moved to Australia years earlier uh, told them that you know, Australia was this mm-hmm. growing wine market uh, and uh, and that ended up being a good investment. But then that that individual became uh, Freixionet's uh, first right. official distributor, right? And so that, that person could start a business that was complementary to what right, Freixionet yeah. was trying so to do. So I
0: also wondered, uh, Zeke, I don't know if you have, if you have data on this, you know, I wondered if this explains, you know, sort of immigrant enclaves in countries, right? We we see some clustering of immigrants. And I wondered, are immigrants voluntarily assembling so that they could gain from, you know, some sort of co national firm entries in the in the future?
1: Um, you know, that's a interesting possibility we do know so other others have done research on immigrant enclaves yeah. and the clustering of immigrants um so i have to give credit to, to you know them and uh, they have shown that yes immigrants uh, cluster um not just for social reasons but also for economic reasons because they help each other say uh, often start companies right so you know the the in the korea towns or china towns for example right um you see you see that immigrants help each other uh, be entrepreneurs, they help each other, uh, yeah. you know, get jobs. I again, don't I don't know if it's also because they're expecting investment uh, in the form that that I studied. Uh, so you, you've you you've already raised <laughs> two interesting follow up questions. Sure. I appreciate it. No, you know,
0: uh, I mean, one one idea would be um, it, it appears that there is some kind of supply chain specialization that happens um, by immigrants, right? It could be a domain specialization like information technology or it could be some, some sort of supply chain specialization. And if that is the case, then um, clustering would make those things work better, right? Um, it's the same thing, you know, when you see uh, a shop Specializing in a product, you see multiple shops around that specializing in the same product. Uh, so, I, I guess that is sort of a reducing the search cost for uh, for customers, right?
1: Yeah. Yes. And uh, so, Bill Kerr, uh, who is an economist at Harvard, uh, has a, a research paper. I don't know if it's published yet, where he he shows some of this. So he explores how. Uh, there's certain like specialization by nationality so for example if uh you're a nail salon owner you're something like uh like like there's this huge yeah. disproportionate probability that you're um you're vietnamese right um or or if you actually are a motel owner it's there's a huge probability that you're um uh that you're from the <laughs> punjab region of india right with the last name of patel <laughs> and, uh, and uh, and 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 that's right. And part of the cluster, part of the benefit is the clustering because uh, these these uh, enclaves and the people that live within them sort of teach each other the craft and the skill, um, right? And they support each other if they need resources or if the business is facing a downturn. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, that's really neat. So I research, want to jump into um, another by, people by that the, you
0: have, yeah. which is sort of in the same arena. So it is entitled: When do ethnic communities affect foreign location choice? dual entry strategies for Korean banks in China. So, so you're looking at here, uh, how, uh, Korean banks decided, um, uh, presumably they decided again to, to enter, but, uh, to, to, to decide to locate, uh, their, um, their operations, uh, how do they go about doing that? Right.
1: Yeah. So in some ways, the study is uh, similar in structure to the one that we've just been talking about. Um, uh, The the one difference is that, you know, if in the study of, uh, you know, set in the US uh, there, I was particularly interested in looking at uh, sort of this mechanism of knowledge and information. Um, In this study, we speculated that there's a further reason that immigrants attract firms from their countries, and that is basically trust right uh, that that these ethnic communities function hmm. as uh essentially like these trust producing machines right so so um you know if um if I need to do a business transaction uh with somebody else uh I will trust them more if there's um some kind of ethnic com- commonality that I have with them if we're if we're part of this tight community where yeah, yeah um you yeah. know and I don't just know you but I know your parents and your cousin right. There's multiple forms of, of, of sort of what we call social enforcement. And so we speculated that that's another benefit that firms get when they invest in these immigrant enclaves or immigrant communities. Um, and so we we actually uh, explored this in a very interesting context. So we looked at South Korean banks uh, expanding into China. And um, the the sort of the upshot is we found that indeed sort of on average, uh, those Korean banks were more likely to uh, set up bank branches in places, in provinces in China that had more uh, ethnic Koreans. But, but the real takeaway is that that effect, uh, uh, once we split these provinces mm-hmm. into whether they had strong property rights versus weak property rights, we only found this, this ethnic magnet effect right. uh, in provinces mm-hmm. that had weak property rights. Okay. Now, what does that mean, right? That means a place with weak property rights, if you're a bank, is a place that has courts that are very ineffective, right? That doesn't have uh, laws that are very clearly written, where it would be very easy for you to lend money to someone and for them never to pay you back and you can never recover uh, that loan. Uh, And so in a place like that, that has weak formal property rights, uh, you know, laws, courts, etc., then you can't rely on the formal Uh, set of institutions to enforce loan contracts. You have to rely on informal social enforcement. And so that's why, you know, we think that these Korean banks um, were sort of significantly attracted to places with Korean communities if the province had, you know, weak property rights. But if the province had strong formal property rights, the Korean community had no Uh, statistically identifiable effect on their location choice. And so that allowed us to sort of isolate this mechanism of of sort of um, these communities playing that trustful.
0: But but communities seeing that, is there any evidence that ethnic communities are gravitating toward locations with weak and unstable institutions?
1: So that's a, a you know a really great um, question. Uh, I would say on on average, I don't know if that would be yeah. true in some ways because they would they wouldn't be very attractive places to live. Um, in our study, though, of course, that would be a concern if there was like a systematic bias, right? Where like the community is attracted to places with those weak property rights, and therefore the banks as well. So this is where um, the choice of research setting was oh, sure, was really, really unique, and and uh, pardon me if I go down a rabbit hole of of history. But I, I think I think it's actually really quite fascinating on its own. So the the reason we chose this setting is that uh, Koreans have a very interesting history in China. So it turns out that during the period of Japanese colon- colonialism in the early nineteen hundreds, when Japan invaded the Korean Peninsula. Uh, a lot of Koreans, uh, you know, millions of them, about uh, four or five million, fled to the northeastern part of China uh, to escape the oppression from the Japanese. And uh, they were hoping perhaps eventually to return when col- colonialism ended. But then this other unexpected event happened, which was that the, communists, the Chinese Communist Party sort of took over in China in 1949, and uh there were uh two million koreans that essentially were stuck in china um and uh they couldn't return back to south korea because uh the south korean government uh recognized the Taiwanese even as a legitimate government of china anyway so th- this created this diplomatic rift between the two countries and it meant that there was yep. no exchange between them no diplomatic relations no travel so what did that mean it mean that meant that these two million ethnic koreans were sort of stuck in china right and they became one of the officially recognized minorities and sort of over time uh, kind of spread throughout different parts of china but for reasons that had nothing to do with the entry of korean banks many years later and so the the, the research design in this study is that um we start our study in 1992 and the, the year is relevant because that's when China and South Korea normalized diplomatic relations. And that's when Korean companies and banks started investing back in China. Well, by 1992, there's this population of ethnic Koreans that was kind of scattered throughout China for reasons that had nothing to yeah, do yeah. with sort of the the motives that the banks had to invest there. Right. So it was it was. In, in sort of the language of, of you know, statistics, yeah. it was exogenous or uncorrelated with the motives of the firms. And so that allowed us to kind of make a claim that we have uh, at least a plausible case for causality here, right? That it's, there's not some underlying reason that's driving both right, right. the ethnic and, community and, the, and data, the banks to choose the same provinces.
0: That, that shows um, entry into, a fo- you know, an area that has formal institutions as opposed to uh, more ethnic, um uh, you know, ethnic enforcement, let's say, uh, what the profitability uh, differentials are between those
1: two cohorts? I would love to know that. We, we were unable to get profitability data. <laughs> yeah. uh, the banks just, uh, you know, I guess w- wouldn't give it to us, right? And I understand why. But um, so, no, we, we, we don't know if this there's a performance differential. There very well could be, right? So the only thing we can get at here is, the sort of the factor okay. motivating the location choice, but not whether this was good for performance. But you know some of the other studies that that I um, right, right. shared with you. Yeah, I want to jump into uh, to get another one of yeah. your
0: kind of more recent papers, Zeke. So this is um, yeah, it, it's uh, entitled "Immigrant Entrepreneurs as Pathways to Foreign Venture Capital Investment." So this is sort of going in the other direction where uh vcs in the u.s invest in um in immigrant entrepreneurs uh and then over time uh they start to invest in that entrepreneur's home country is that what you're finding
1: that's correct yes i think that's uh yeah you 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 sort of cut the, yeah. the point so um i can get a little more into the details of what we found yeah so so in that, so is exactly what you said, right? In the studies I've been talking about so far, uh, you know, immigrants move to country X and uh, in, firms from the same immigrants home country also invest in country X. Here, we're looking at, at a different phenomenon, which uh, is that, um, is the following. So, um, you know, venture capital firms in the U S of course have been very uh, successful on average, and they've invested in a lot of startups, uh, you know, lately in high tech startups and um uh for a variety of 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 reasons um a lot of those uh high-tech startups uh involve immigrant founders uh particularly in our case immigrant founders from india because indians have come sort of in 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 large scale and they're very educated and have uh, a lot of stem skills and so the question we had was well uh could it be that if a venture capital firm uh, becomes exposed to Indian founders here in the US, just in the course of, of going about you know, investing in startups, um, you know, does that then lead them to subsequently invest in India and in startups that are based in India, right? So the, the exposure to the, let's call it the knowledge and connections of these Indian founders who are now in the US uh, allows them to sort of find out about um, attractive investment opportunities in India. And indeed we find that that's the case um and uh the other thing that i really uh, sort of like about this study is that we can get very granular about the mechanisms and why this is happening um so one of the things we can do is we can distinguish um uh between so because we we have a lot of information on who the founders of these u.s based startups are if the founder is indian um, we know, uh, we have a way of finding out if this individual is a first generation immigrant from India or, or a sort of second or later generation. And so you would, you would imagine that a first generation Indian has direct experience, direct information and connections about India, uh, whereas a, say a, a second or later generation uh, ethnic Indian doesn't have that uh, infer- direct knowledge and connections. So what we find is that this effect of Indian immigrants on venture capitalists investing in India, Indian startups uh, holds only if they're exposed mm-hmm. to first generation Indian immigrants and not to later generations of Indians. And, and to get even more granular, uh, another thing that we know based on where these individuals studied and based on the kind of linguistic profiles of their names is we know if they're from yeah. southern, southern India or western India or other parts of India. And so the other effect we find is that if a venture capitalist is exposed to more let's say southern Indians, mm-hmm. it makes venture capital investments in southern India uh more than in other parts of India, and the same would be true if they're exposed to Western Indians versus other kinds of Indians so it it seems that there's something very specific there's you know immigrants with this channel of very specific information and connections um uh, you know, from from the places in which uh, they had firsthand experience in India. And so, um, you know, what? why is that important? It's important in, in part inherently because venture capital is, is a big vehicle of spurring entrepreneurship. Uh, it's important because it tells us that emigration in the long run has what we call sort of capital benefits for the sending country, right? So immigrants go out. And you know, despite these concerns of brain drain that are common, uh, it seems that in the long run, maybe uh, those very same immigrants help right, right. Uh, and so funnel or channel capital back to their homeland.
0: back in this case, back in India, um, is that is that really driven by just affinity? Um, you know, it's one possibility. Do we have any performance data on their investments?
1: We do, so in the version of the paper that I sent you, um, it, it's a little bit of an older version. Uh, we're revising it at the request of a journal, and uh, one of the things that we added in the revision was performance data. Um, the best measure of performance we could get was uh, whether the startup had a, a successful exit, yeah. meaning did it did it IPO? Was it acquired um, or by another company or another investor, which are all sort of considered successful exits in the VC world? And we found indeed that that, um, uh, venture capitalists who were sort of more exposed to first generation Indians here in the US, not only did they invest in more startups in India, but those startups uh, were more likely to successfully exit. So it seems like uh, it's not just some uh, sort of ethnic or cultural affinity, but that there is sort of economically valuable information and perhaps networks and other, other forms of Ah, uh, benefits that these these ethnic networks right, are providing right, yeah. to the investors, also to the wondered, American investors. Uh, the, in I don't know. if This is a testable uh, thing, you know. Uh,
0: I wondered if it is just an initial condition, uh, you know, sort of an issue. So, if I run a a new experiment, let's say, I have you know bunch of uh, high tech VCs here in Rhode Island, let's say, and I started off with a high VC concentration, high tech in mm-hmm. Rhode Island. And I'm just making this up. We have a higher concentration of Colombians in Rhode Island. Uh, will I will I not see uh, more VC investments in Colombia over time?
1: Yeah, that's what our paper would imply. Uh, you know, so now there is a possibility, right? As always with research, there are caveats that there's something unique about India or Indians. Um, I think that um, you know, I, I can't rule that out completely, so I don't I don't want to say, but yes, our paper would imply that if you're exposed to Colombians, you invest more in Colombia. Um, and if you're exposed, say, more to Chinese founders in the US, you invest more in China. There is one thing we did in the paper that helped us yeah. back into that a little bit, although we didn't quite solve the issue, so to speak, is that we um we did know even though we we had mainly data on Indian founders. We did have data on the investments that VCs made in other countries. So, for example, we knew the investments they made in China, Israel, Canada, the UK, uh, which are yeah. other big um, foreign destinations for U.S. venture capital. And uh, and we found that Indian founders had no effect on their the VCs' investments in those other countries, right? So so it's not so again, it's not like. This this reflects some underlying preference for sort of foreign investors and foreign uh, sorry foreign founders and foreign startups. Uh, it, you know, it once again shows that sort of the what whatever mechanism is happening, which we're calling knowledge and connections, is again very specific to the country and even the subregion right. of where these individuals come from. Um, but again, that doesn't solve or or, or completely sort That's of what the data, address data exactly says. what you so asked. It's just a way to it
0: might be that. Uh, and this might be unique to high tech. Yeah. Um, let's say, you know, you start investing in Silicon Valley in, in high tech and many of those firms may have relationships, outsourcing relationships, software development, things like that. And so I think you looked at Bangalore and Mumbai specifically, let's say, you know, you're a VC in Silicon Valley. You start investing in, um, in, in firms uh, founded by Indian entrepreneurs and some of the activities are done back in Bangalore, and, and so they have, you know, sort of a continuous exposure, <laughs> you know, uh, to that area, and, and that might be uh, what is driving, you know, further investments
1: into new companies in the region. Yeah, you know it it could be. Um we were not able to observe those relationships because yeah. for startups it's very hard to know say who their outsourcing suppliers are or something like that. But we we did do something that uh we were trying to see if if there was some kind of um you know sort of for lack of a better term business relatedness between the startups that have Indian founders yeah. here in the US and then the Indian startups, you know, back in India. so one of the ways that we tried to run sort of a very stringent analysis was to say okay let's let's um let's look at you know uh for for the exposure to to startups with indian founders you have here we're going to look only uh at whether that exposure uh leads the vcs to invest in startups that are in Mm -hmm. industries that are completely different completely unrelated to the industries um of the startups here in the u.s and even if we kind of slice the data that way where where we're kind of you know eliminating a lot of observations and making harder for us to find a result we still find that the exposure to indians uh, affects investment in sort of these unrelated industries in india so yeah. it, i think what you suggested very well could be happening but this effect that they have on investment sort of still seems to exist, even when what you're raising uh, doesn't, yeah, you so know, is less likely like to it's happen, a broader, I guess, for lack of a better much, way to say it. Much
0: broader effect. Um, and uh, as you know, you know, investments very much, yes. you know, uh, is driven by trust comfort levels. Uh, I don't know the latest numbers, Zeke, but, um, you know, alpha generation in VCs haven't been spectacular, <laughs> uh, from the nineties. So, you know, it's, you know, many of the uh-huh. positions, um might be, you know, it's perpetuated because, you know, people kind of expect it, Uh but it's not really shown in performance of VCs. Um, I don't know yeah. what the latest data is, but. Um... And so. Yeah, good, so good, one good more, point. Uh, that, good that's point. a very also, good point. You, yes. you also look at uh, um, another paper, you know, uh, immigrants and foreign firm performance. So, there's some very interesting findings here. You sort of divide uh, multinationals and independents, and you find interesting interesting observations in those two buckets, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know that paper in some ways we're we're trying to address two two big questions. So one is. Um, you know what the three the three papers we've discussed so far have in common is that they make a, a very I think at this point sort of strong case altogether that immigrants do affect location choice right they affect where investors uh, choose to put their capital abroad um, but uh, there there is a question now going sort of away from from venture capital but more into the. Yeah sort of foreign direct investment that say a multinational firm would make, you know, is that decision good for the bottom line for the profits of of foreign firms, right? So meaning when you locate in places that have lots of immigrants from your home country, is is that sort of a a profitable decision, right? Or are you doing it for biased reasons? Maybe, I don't know, because you have an affinity for your co-nationals, but you should have put your capital somewhere else. So that's the first big question. Is this good for performance? And then related to that, to answer that question, we realize, well, m- maybe maybe there's a difference between, um, you know, multinational firms that are establishing a subsidiary. So think of, you know, McDonald's or IBM or Google uh, versus uh, what we call an independent firm, which really, I think the easier way to think about it is like yeah. a startup yeah. um, uh, founded by a by a foreigner. OK, so so uh, if we want to make it easy, let's think of. Um, Maybe this is too simplistic an example, yeah. but let's think, let's think of McDonald's establishing a restaurant right abroad versus yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a foreigner starting their own sort of restaurant right abroad okay so um, so we find that um, sure. uh, actually let me tell you about the empirical context uh, because then we might get into that so so yeah. in this case, we looked at this in the setting of Russia. Um, and um, I'll explain later why Russia, because it seems like a strange choice, but we look at foreign firms in Russia. Um, one reason is because in Russia, uh, it's, by, it's, it's mandated that firms have to report financial statements at the uh-huh. subsidiary level so we can actually look at their profitability at that level. Uh, but um, uh, so we find that, that on average, um, the yeah. more immigrants live in a, in a Russian province or Russian region, Um, the more profitable that foreign firms are, right? If they locate where immigrants from their home countries live. So, so if it's, you know, uh, an American firm, um, the more Americans there are in that province in Russia, the, the more um, profitable it will be. We find that sort of for every thousand immigrants of the same nationality, the return on assets of these firms increases by about 4%, which is, which is a a big amount, right? but then, but then uh, the other wrinkle in this study is that when we compare uh, the subsidiaries of multinationals, right? These are big multinationals, to these these you know entrepreneurial firms started by individual immigrants. Um, we we the, the wrinkle is that um, for the subsidiaries of the multinational, they they experience this benefit of of being where immigrants are, sort of regardless of the nationality of the manager that they put in charge of that local operation. So whether it's a Russian or an American, but if it's a foreign entrepreneur, it's very important for that entrepreneur to appoint a an immigrant manager to benefit from the presence of the immigrant community. Uh, why do we make such a big deal of that? It's because it helps us understand the mechanism by which these two types of firms benefit from immigrants for for the startups, because again, they have, they have remember, a startup has no pre-existing right. brand or product that the immigrant community would know, right? So they can't relate to that firm other than through the individual personal network of the manager. Whereas a start, a, a subsidiary of a multinational has a brand, a product that would be more likely to be known to the immigrant right. community. Again, McDonald's would be an example, right? All Americans know McDonald's. And so it matters a bit less if McDonald's has a Russian or a or an american local manager whereas for you know zeke's rest new restaurant in russia right i don't have a track record that the immigrants would know so so it you know the the upshot or the language we use in the paper is that the benefits of these immigrant communities for foreign firms uh, from the home country are real but they're activated through personal channels for startups yeah, so the, and through impersonal channels 4% for international
0: performance differential That cannot be really explained by just demand side effects, right? Um, People buying their product. I mean, it's much, much more elaborate than that.
1: Yeah. No, no, that's right. That would, uh, I mean, certainly that is part of the story, but no, it's, it's more complicated. um, Right. Remember that profits can increase either because your revenues are higher or because your costs are lower. Um, So we have some uh, findings where we find that what immigrants are doing is both. They're helping these firms increase their revenues. uh, And that's going to come either because the immigrants are consumers or just because the immigrants sort of uh, make sort of native consumers aware of the product or service um, the firm is offering. Uh, But it also helps firms lower costs. Um, Why would that be? Uh, One, it could be. Uh, my co-author on this paper, is her name is Elena Colchina, she's at um, North Carolina State, she has a separate paper uh, showing that for startups in particular, one one reason they benefit from immigrants is mm-hmm. that they're able to hire them and sort of use them more cost effectively. So right, some 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 right, kind of right. ethnic matching between sort yeah, of managers so, uh, and workers. in conclusion,
0: yeah. Zeke, I want to ask you: mm-hmm. um, yeah, This won't follow from the papers, but in this unusual policy regime that we are in, that appears to um, appears to try to shut down immigration altogether. <laughs> uh, do you do you think uh, immigration is a good thing?
1: Uh, unambiguously yes um, uh, I and I would say um, I would put it two ways so economically speaking but um, uh, you know all the sort of good credible peer-reviewed evidence is that immigrants uh, help the economy in three yeah. dimensions so you and I have been talking about investment right uh, capital is one of the basic inputs into economic growth, right? The greater the stock of capital in, in an economy, the more it grows. Uh, so the, this research that, that you and I have been discussing today, uh, along with other research, not by me yeah. shows that immigrants increase capital in the economy, uh, other research we haven't discussed today shows that immigrants also enhance innovation. So they bring new ideas, new technologies, new products. And then it also increases the, not just the amount of labor. So of course, you know, more immigrants is more potential workers, but also the variety and diversity of labor. And, and uh, research tells us that, that immigrant workers yep. are complements to American or native workers. Uh, so I'm using America as an example, but it, it could be anywhere, right? To, to the workers that are native, meaning that they have different skills they bring different talents that then help make other local workers more productive. So, so whether it's because of increasing amount and diversity of labor, uh, the amount of capital and the amount of, of new ideas and innovation, unambiguously, the evidence tells us that immigrants are good for the economy. And and the, the, the other side of that coin is that if you're, say... Um, You know concern about so say say you support immigration for moral reasons because you think it's a human right or you think we need you know to be kinder to refugees or 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 just give people from poorer countries an opportunity you know you could think well increasing immigration or at least allowing it is still the right thing to do morally but you know it Mm -hmm. comes at a cost but it's a cost we're willing to bear because of the moral good but i think the the economic evidence tells us that in some ways there's a win-win because um economically immigrants bring all these benefits and on top of that if you believe it's sort of the morally right thing to do then it's also a moral win in addition to the economic win so uh so my opinion is is very much informed by the empirical evidence uh you know i i didn't set out to study immigration i set out to study economic great. growth yeah. and it turns out
0: thanks so much for your time uh and uh good luck with all your research
1: Thank you, Gil. And I I appreciate how uh, deeply you read the papers and, and your interest in what I'm doing. It's very kind.